It's Time for Truth, a ministry of Truth Family Bible Church in Middleton, Idaho. It's Time for Truth exists to glorify God through the edification of His saints in our local church and for the benefit of the church around the world. I'm your host, Pastor Danny Steinmeier. Well, welcome everyone once again to another episode of the podcast, uh, wherever you may be and whenever you may be listening to us. I want to thank you for making us part of your day and uh, looking forward to a, a fun time together uh, today on this episode of the podcast. We have another opportunity at an interview. Uh, we always like to do those, and uh, so this is a fun one. Uh, at the time of, I don't know when this is exactly going to be released, but at the time of this recording, we're just after the new year, and uh, we have... Our family still in town uh, visiting, and I wanted to get an opportunity to interview my brother uh, for us. Uh, I think this will be a fun time. We, him and I will have conversations uh, on the phone uh, occasionally or in person when we get together, and then and sometimes it's, it'd be like, man, I wish we could kind of capture that and uh, record that, and so I wanted to take the opportunity to do that and wanted to share that with you. So uh, this is a fun opportunity. So welcoming to the podcast, uh, my brother, Jimmy. Steinmeier. So welcome, Jim. Thank you for having me. You know, I he's always been Jimmy growing up, but then, you know, of course, Jim for short. Of course, his name is James, and then it wasn't really until, you know, he got married that his wife would always refer to him as James or No, she calls Jimbo. me Jimbo. Jimbo. But it depends on when I when you met me in my life. When I was a kid, I was Jimmy. When I went into commercial real estate, I was told I couldn't be Jimmy by the uh mentor that oh really yeah so he said you got to pick one james or jim i chose jim didn't like it but i went with it and then later in life as i became a deputy i always introduced myself as james so depending on when you met me in life is kind of how you know me so i'm jimmy to you and <laughs> you, any of them just just don't call me idiot yeah or late for dinner yeah don't call well, me late for dinner well that's uh, uh already a, a a little intro into uh, who you are. Um, and he's not sick, but he does have uh, a, a challenge with his voice and a uh, tickle in his throat. Yeah, so. I apologize to everybody listening. It's This isn't how I always sound. Um, it's not much better, but um, <laughs> it doesn't, it's not quite so squeaky, but uh, I'll do my best. All right. Sounds good. Well, uh, you already gave a little bit of the uh, of your background, and that's kind of where we wanted to get started um, you, uh, we had a little, of course, the pre-podcast time is always a great time that you don't let, get to listen to where we get to talk with the guybes as a, for instance. And so, uh, we were talking a little bit with them and, and, uh, Jimmy was telling them about uh, being in the grocery business. So re really, um, uh, just kind of trace a little bit of your career leading up to, uh, becoming a police officer and kind of how you ended up deciding that you wanted to be a police officer. Well, as you know, my career started at 10 years old with <laughs> yes. you, yep. um, cutting grass. And we did that for years and it eventually became, you know, our family income for a while. Um, when I got my own job after that, I worked at Albertson's grocery store for several years. Um, and then while I was in college, as well as I worked at a bank at the same time. So I, I was in college. Oh, I and forgot had, the bank. And, yeah. And I had two jobs. After college, I 
went into commercial real estate, got my commercial my real estate license. What was your um, how, how's that uh, college degree doing for you? What was uh, what was your it, uh, it gets me a little extra pay at work, but um, actually not extra. having a degree. You mean? Yeah, it got me higher quicker. So mm. you we have steps of of increased pay. My steps happened two years sooner than somebody who doesn't have a degree. Oh, okay. but other than that, it's it's worthless. Your, well, your degree was in business. Management and human resources. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, I thought I thought it was hotel restaurant. Did you? Switch? No, I changed. Oh, see, I didn't yeah. even know you switched. Yeah. Well, you should ask. Yeah. One of the, one of these days, we'll get to know each other. <laughs> yeah. See that we have to do things like this to actually get to know each other. Well, apparently. and there's yeah. I mean, it, it, we don't just always sit down and <laughs> I know. let me tell you about my life. You know, everybody's got their own things going on. Yeah. No. I, you went to Cal Poly Pomona, and I remember you started off hotel restaurant management because you really liked uh, to cook. And, I did. Uh, all that stuff, and so anyway, it was just a interesting one. So okay, so you were um, you were doing commercial real estate, yeah, and that was terrible. I, I did not like it at all, um, and it was right around. You know, they tell you it takes about three years to get your feet to get your your business up and running, and three year mark hit in August of two thousand and eight. Um, which, if anybody remembers what was happening then, the entire economy crashed, and it was really a blessing for me because I didn't. Even if I was making money doing it, I didn't like it. And well, because of the crash, I wasn't making money doing it. So it was a very uh, seamless decision to say, I don't want to do this anymore. And started looking for things that I would want to do. And I'd always been interested in law enforcement. Um, Never seemed like a reality. It seemed like saying, you know, I want to be an astronaut or I want to be a baseball player when I grow up kind of seemed like one of those careers where, because nobody in our family was. And so it it didn't really seem like something that, you know, I could pursue. And then when I, when I left commercial real estate, I kind of thought, well, why not? You know, I, I, I want to, and, and it seems like a doable thing. And so that's what I did. And, um, I never looked back. Um, I remember, uh, you had a pretty good run in the academy, even. Uh, how did that? Uh, how did that go? <coughs> and this was again. Uh, you got hired on at uh, L.A. County. Uh, no, San Diego, San Diego County Sheriff. Yes. Sorry. Um, well, my academy. <laughs> I don't know. There was a good run. Um, I actually, within thirty seconds of my first day, was singled out to be yelled and screamed at and told to run down to the fence and fill my dirt with my pocket with dirt. Um, so that I could remember my right hand and my left hand, I had to fill my right pocket with a, with a bunch of dirt and weeds and things. Um, and I wasn't, I didn't have the experience of being in the military prior, so I didn't really understand kind of the way things were. Um, and I ended up, there's these punishments that we get, they're called Argus nines where you have to write, um, we have to write what you did wrong. And near the end of the academy, um, my training officer who initially had really disliked me, um, we were doing a briefing and kind of telling the near graduating recruits where they were good, where they were bad, that kind of thing. And he said, you had the second most Argus nines in the Academy. And I kind of laughed and I said, I'm sorry, it's not funny. And he goes, it is kind of funny actually. And he said, you're one of two people in this Academy that I would ride in a car with. So don't more or less, don't worry about it. Um, you know, I just didn't know protocols and things like that. And I kept getting in trouble. Um, but he ended up being a big fan of mine. And um, it, as it turned out, I was actually the honor graduate of my academy. I graduated top of my class. Um, so it's kind of, it is, for those who don't know me, 
a pretty good picture of who I am to know that I got the second most punishments in the entire academy, but also was the top graduate of the academy. I think that's actually a pretty good picture of <laughs> of who I am and 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 uh, in my life. I am both the worst and best at many things. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, so uh, when when was this? So when did you uh, when did you become? How old were you? And when did you become a uh, sheriff's deputy? I believe I turned 28 or 29 in the academy. Um, well, let's see, it's 2010. So I would have turned 29 in the academy. Um, I graduated October 2010 and um, went to the jails after that for a little over a year and then out on patrol in 2011, the end of 2011. Okay. And so <clears throat> um, when it comes to your beginning of your career, uh, we'll just highlight this best part of your career, which is uh, where you also met your spouse. Yeah, I did. She was a deputy. She came in and, and uh, you know, she was kind of cute. Kind of? Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of whatever. She was kind of cute. <laughs> and, um, you know, she, <laughs> I met her and, and I guess I act cocky sometimes. I don't try to. It just sort of happens, I guess. And the person who was walking her around the station he was giving her an orientation and and i i guess i acted too cocky for him so he felt he needed to put me in my place and and he says yeah that's that's mr steinmeier he's you six months ago in other words my my level of experience was not much greater than these new people i was meeting um either way she perceived that i was cocky as well and um told her mom she met a real jerk that day and i told her later i, I don't care I made the five o'clock news at your house the first day I met you. So it, it, it turned out how it was going to. So we eventually, she eventually figured it out and came to her senses. <laughs> right. Very good. And well, and you had come to yours. So that was, uh, yeah. that, that was good. And uh, now you've got uh, three, three young kids. So that's. Uh, <coughs> yeah. Yeah. They're kind of cute too. Yeah. Cause kind of. Yeah. I, I think they're cute. Yeah. Well, um, one of the things we wanted to t uh, to get to, uh, so this making the five o'clock news was this the big ev event that you made the news? Or no, no, I meant I made the five o'clock news in her home. Oh, in her home. Yeah, to you. her mom. She told her mom about me the first day she met me, and it was negative. She was saying there's no I bad was press, jerk. right? Right. There's no such thing as bad press. Gotcha. And you know, well, you know, she she thought that she was really saying something rad about me, and it, you know, when I found out later, I was actually happy. You know, she I made an impression and. Kind of lived between her eyes for a bit, and you know, yeah. eventually she ended up putting on a ring. All right, that's great. Well, so you were in the jails, and then you went out on patrol and began your career. I, I know that you've, um, uh, I think the way that I've thought about it, uh, you were born to be a cop. Uh, you really have a, it, you found your calling, you found what you were made to do, and uh, maybe tell us a little bit about, you know, why being a, a police officer is something that really hit home with you and, and, and why you became good at it. And uh, what, what is it that you loved about being a, a sheriff? When I, when I when was in the academy, I knew right away that this is what I was supposed to do. Um, the things that I was good at in general, not, they're not entirely uh, applicable to different jobs. They were almost completely applicable to this job. Um, the way that I see the world, the way that I view people, the way that I interact with people, the what I 
what I observe when I'm talking to people, those were all things that fit with this career much more so than any business career or real estate. Um, and you could just feel it when you're, when you're kind of riding the wave of what you're supposed to do, you can just kind of feel that pleasure, that joy of, of knowing that this is something that I'm, that I'm good at, that I, that I know how to do. And, you know, in the Academy, I would volunteer for every scenario. They would get annoyed with me because every time there was a scenario, I would raise my hand and I wanted to do everything. Um, before becoming a deputy, I had done a ride along, several ride alongs, one of which was in Compton, which was interesting. Um, and I asked to stay longer because I didn't want to go home. And I was like, I would do this for free. This, this is, you know, I knew even before getting in the Academy, I'm like, this is what I want to pursue. And it's, it's been that way throughout my career where, um, all the things that I enjoy that I, you know, are in, in more in line with, with thinking and doing and acting all kind of fit in with, with this job. And there's, it was a really good feeling. And that's why I said before that when the economy crashed, it was really a blessing. Cause I, if I had been financially successful in commercial real estate, I would have never found really, you know, what I was supposed to be doing. And so it was, um, you know, God, God works in mysterious ways. And really many times in my career, the things that I perceived as negatives turned out to be positives, including I was rejected actually by my first choice, which was San Diego police. They rejected me for some reason and applying for the sheriff's department was just kind of an afterthought. And as it turns out, I was much, much happier being with the sheriff's department when I learned the ins and outs of how things work at each department. Um, it was a, incredible blessing that I ended up with the sheriff's department and not with my first choice, which was the police department. So that's happened numerous times in my career, also continuing into positions within the department that I missed out on that turned out to be blessings. So that's happened quite a bit. You mentioned kind of who you are, what you're good at and the way you see the world and the way you see and interact with people. Can you explain a little bit about what that what that is, what that means, what does it mean? You know, you, you are very good and very successful at, um, interactions with people, getting the things that you need to get, getting information. Um, maybe it's, maybe it's the way you observe things. Like you said, the way you see the world, what are some things that you can kind of identify that have helped you to say, oh yeah, this is what, this is a really good fit for me. Um, well, there's a lot of things. It's hard. It's, it would, we'd be here for hours to really go into depth onto any or all of the things that I'm talking about. One particular thing, I guess, would be um, the way I read people um, and situations and scenes. I, I found myself, even before being a cop, being aware of things that were going on around me uh, quicker than most people. Um, you know, I was talking to somebody one time and and it was this girl and she said, did you see that person over there? And I said, which person? And she said, um, well, the one in the green dress or something like that. And I said, well, which, what are you talking about? She goes, oh, you're not very observant. I thought you were super observant. I said, no, there's three in a green dress. One's wearing sandals, one's wearing, you know, uh, high heels. And the other one is wearing boots. Which one are you referring to? <laughs> and she goes, oh, okay, never mind." And it was just the, the idea that when there's when somebody comes in the room or when i go into a room i'm immediately assessing who's in there what do they look like what are they doing how are they acting 
is is this a safe place to be? And I was doing that before being a cop. And as it turns out, that is a skill set that, um, if not possessed, is attempt to be trained into deputies or police to be aware of situations as they're about before they're even going to happen. And that, you know, to, to, um, anticipate things that, that could happen based upon behaviors and physical appearances and everything comes into, into, into play when you're trying to assess a situation. So I think that is, um, probably the primary thing that, that would set me apart in terms of, of acumen that, that makes me good at, at the job. Um, but even before I, I mentioned the, the ride along in Compton, the way that that actually happened, I was working out at the gym and a guy I didn't know came up to me and said, do you, do you ever think about being a cop? And I said, well, I'm actually in the background process with several, with several, um, organizations. And he said, well, I'm a, I'm a narcotics detective with the, with the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department and I work in Compton. I want you to come and do a ride along with me. So I, I did, I served a search warrant with him and then he set me up with a couple of patrol deputies to go on the ride along. But he had independent of any knowledge of me, just based upon the way that I carried myself. He said, you, you carry yourself like somebody who should be a cop. Now, what that means is quite a number of intangibles, but another cop viewed me as somebody who carried themselves in that way. And he could have been doing what I explained earlier, which is as a cop, he's reading the room, assessing each individual in that room, stopped on me and thought that guy looks like he should be one of us type of thing. And so how that happens, the thought process is there's a lot of things that aren't even in your, in your forefront of your thought. There are things that feelings and, and, um, you know, experiences that go into your perceptions of, of what's in front of you. And he perceived me to be somebody who, who should do it. And he was, I don't believe he was wrong. Right. No, that's good. Uh, yeah, I think, I think mom and dad, I think certainly saw one of the things that you possessed as a kid was a, a keen sense of justice, right? <laughs> I was nicknamed Mr. Justice. I think that was in Awana. <laughs> I did put that on my, uh, uh, on my, uh, written, my written application that that was, something uh, i don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing to put um but yes it was i i had a keen sense of right and wrong and didn't have too much qualms about um insisting that right be prevailed um you know defending people who shouldn't have been picked on that kind of thing mm. um yeah i mean that that it all goes into everything yeah. it, it, everything about who i am and and how I saw the world, like I said, it's almost like, it's like God said, Hey, I'm going to make a cop and uh, he won't know it till he's almost 30, but, uh, he's going to look back and find out that he should have known it when he was five, <laughs> right. you know? Yeah. Um, cause well, that's how I felt once I got into it. Well, just so you know, when I was in college, my, <coughs> my nickname from some of the guys in the dorm, they called me the sheriff. Oh, so, okay. Just so. Just so, so it runs know. in the family. It, it, there's something there at least anyway. Okay. All right. Well, so you were, um, uh, you come out of the jails, you are getting to uh, finally experience what you were made to do and in terms of your vocation. Um, and then there was a, uh, fateful day, Jim, uh, how, <laughs> at what point, uh, in your career, how, how, how 
far along in your sheriff's career were you when uh, we had a ser- serious, significant event in, in your career? When I got shot. Well, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. When, well, you, when you got shot. We were going to tease that a little bit, but go ahead. What, you uh, can delete it later in post. Um, I So we'll start back a little bit. So 2012 um, in the summertime, and I, I want to start with some background because it is kind of relevant to where I was in my life at the time. Um, I was, I didn't have a death wish. I had a sense of if something's dangerous, send me. I didn't want to die. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't, wasn't looking to have bad things happen to me, but I didn't have as much concern with my well being as I do now being married, having kids. I was single, didn't have kids. Um, and I really, was kind of like, well, if something dangerous needs to be done, then I'll do it. Um, I didn't, I didn't want to get hurt. I didn't want to have, but I, I really did enjoy the job. I really um, didn't have a, a really proper sense of my own safety uh, that I probably should have um, that I do now. And so back in 2012 was, there was a lot going on that I would get involved in and, and, um, um, there was actually a shooting in Lakeside and I responded to it. Didn't actually make it to the scene cause it, it, it was a very large response and I was in North County. I worked in Sanitas and, um, so I didn't actually make it all the way down there, but the, the response was to a shooting in which two deputies were shot. Um, one was named Ali Perez. The other was Craig Johnson. And, um, that becomes relevant later. But for anybody interested in finding out his story is actually far more interesting than mine. Um, he was actually profiled on the 700 club based on his shooting. Um, Allie or Craig or Allie, 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 Allie should have died. The doctors told his family he could not survive his wounds. Um, he had his blood, he had blood transfusions to the point where his blood was replaced 10 times in his body because how much blood he was losing. Um, I ended up meeting him working as a, um, hospital guard for him when he was in the hospital, he did make it. And I ended up speaking to him just before he was going into surgery where he told me his story and it's his story. Um, so this is not my story, but basically he got shot by a guy who was a child molester and he fell into the apartment that this was happening in and his, basically he unloaded his gun and he was empty. And the guy was still hiding behind the wall and attempting to kill him. And he just thought, well, I'm, I'm dead. This is where it ends. And he said that in the room in front of him, uh, Jesus was sitting on a chair and he handed him a note and the note said, bless the man. And so he said, okay. And he said, God bless you, brother. And the guy came out from behind the wall and he sat next to Allie with his gun and Allie's you know, a cop and they'd just been shooting each other. And he says, we're going to go out together. And they sat there. And at some point, um, the door opened and the guy said, you can leave. And he, and he let him leave. And I guess where it became known that this happened was when he testified in court, that this is what happened. And the, the suspect, uh, confirmed the story that this is what had happened. Now the suspect didn't see Jesus, but, um, but he confirmed that he said, God bless you. And he came and sat down next to him. Anybody interested in that further? There's actually, there's a lot more to the story, but you can look it up. It's Ali, A-L-I Perez. And he was, 
it should be on YouTube, 700 Club. But shortly after that, I was involved in an incident where I broke my hand on a, on a guy's face. Um, we ended up in an altercation, also a very interesting story, but too long. And I punched him several times and I broke my hand. Because of the broken hand, I was in a cast for six weeks. During that time, I petitioned my sergeant to go to the other side of the week. And what that means is I was working um, Sunday through Tuesday, and I wanted to be um, on the other side where I was working Wednesday through Saturday or Wednesday through Friday because I couldn't go to church when I was on the Sunday schedule. And so being at the station more with my cast, um, got to press him on that, and he ended up relenting and saying, okay, you can go to the other side of the week. So in January of 2013 is when I joined a new team that this fateful day, as you say, occurred. I, I was pretty new on that team and didn't, didn't know too many of the people when this, when this incident occurred, which is kind of also relevant to the situation. Okay. So <laughs> while you take a drink of water and cough, um, yeah, I apologize no, for my it, voice. No, it's, you're good. Sound like Robert Kennedy over here. <laughs> so it's 2013. You're on a new team and, uh, you don't know all these people that well, but you're on the, you're, you're still on that same side of the week that you had asked to be on. Yeah. I'm now I'm brand new on the uh, Wednesday through Friday, every other Saturday, um, working. And that's, that's the schedule that I wanted so I could have Sundays off. Mm -hmm. Um, so the day was February 20th, 2013. And so you've been an officer for about three years. Yes. But I've only been on patrol for, two. for a year. And oh, okay. I, I went on patrol December, 2011. This is now February, 2013. Okay. So that's about a year and some change. Yeah. And, um, I heard a call go out and another deputy went to handle it and it was a stolen vehicle call. I didn't think much of it. People handing calls all the time. We're doing our own thing. And it just kept dragging on. And I could hear it going on, but I was doing other things. <clears throat> and just prior to me, my eventual involvement in that, I responded to a fire of a, an electric motorcycle. Electric motorcycle was charging, caught fire. They called 911. I got there first, and I put out the fire with my fire extinguisher. Um I didn't find out till later that the fire department hates it when you put out their fires. <laughs> they they really hate it. Um, I didn't know that. I found out later. Now I just let things burn till they get there. Um, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. But I when I put it out, I breathed in a lot of toxic smoke, and I was coughing and hacking, and and um, the fire department eventually gets there, and there was a a medic that I would run into quite often on calls. And he said, James, what are you doing? He's like, you're a wild person. He's like, every time I go to these crazy calls, you're here. He's like, it's always you. He's, and I think he mentioned, do you have a death wish or something like that? And I was kind of puzzled, kind of like, I'm just doing my job, you know? And he was nice. I mean, he wasn't being a jerk. He just thought, man, every time I come to these calls, every time I, I see you. Basically, and you like to drive fast. I like doing like cop stuff. Fast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so it, this, I tell that story because it does become funny later. Um, and so I was kind of hacking and they, they checked me out, nothing to do about it. So they, they went on their way. They put out the rest of the fire, put on all their masks and stuff. And as they're putting their mask on, I'm like, well, I'm an idiot. I'm sitting <laughs> here with no mask on and they're, they're masking up. And then I 
I heard a call for more units to go to that stolen vehicle call. <clears throat> I recognized the address. I believed I had recognized the address because my roommate at the time was a deputy and he had relayed a story at a house where they had a confrontation with a young man who had threatened them with bear mace, bear pepper spray. And I texted him and I said, Hey, do you recognize this address? And he texted back. Yes, that's his name's Evan quick. And if you go over there, you're going to have to shoot him. And I was young at the time as a deputy. I should have now in hindsight, I should have just radioed that information or as it was, I texted it to the primary deputy. Hey, just be careful. This guy is, my roommate says we're going to have to shoot him. Now what that means, I don't know. He had more experience, but I asked our dispatch, do we have prior history at this address? And uh, an error occurred and she actually put in the address incorrectly and said, no, there's no prior history. So I was questioning whether or not this was correct or not right if 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 this incident had occurred not long ago that should have a record of that and and there was none she had transposed some numbers which we found out later so i drove over there and essentially it was a young man that had stolen his mom's car um and he had ret returned to the house or they believed he had returned to the house but weren't weren't sure and they were trying to see if he was in the house and whether or not he was or if he was there we were going to arrest him the mom was interviewed and said, you know, he doesn't have any weapons. Um, you know, I think he's in there, but but I don't know. Well, this is a different situation than a lot of things, right? Where this is a son stealing, <clears throat> which is kind of a, sometimes a funny way to think of it, but he's stealing a mom's his mom's car. So this is, doesn't seem like a entirely hostile thing. It's just a family dispute combined with a car. Is that sort of, is that a, so, is a fair element to that? Yeah. I know he had a restraining order or something like that. Yeah. Right? So it's, it's difficult to know what details to put in because there's a lot, but basically he, she had attempted to, he, he's a, he was a heroin addict and she had attempted in the past numerous times to report him for stealing her car. And the deputies eventually told her, stop doing that. It's not stealing when you when you give permission and then withdraw permission, that's not stealing. Um, you can't just say, yeah, today you can drive it tomorrow. You can't. And if you do, you've stolen my car. So what she did is she went down to the court and got a restraining order. And in the restraining order, it was uh, named that he couldn't use the car. So essentially while we, I called it a stolen vehicle, what it turned out in hindsight to be was a violation of a restraining order mm -hmm. call. Um, that's relevant now because all the things that happened should not have happened based on what the call was it, it this in, whole incident should not have happened um because that type of call should have been de-escalated and said okay when we when we see him we'll arrest him for violating restraining order it's not a it's not a fly-by-night car thief who we don't know who he is mm -hmm. you know what i mean <clears throat> so i i headed over there and by the time i got there they basically said okay we're gonna enter the house and they said, myself and another female deputy go to the back, in the back perimeter, a couple people in the front, and then there was going to be an entry team going in the house. And while I was in the back, I was coughing and hacking because of the call I just <laughs> just come from. Surprise! And, and that combined with the broken hand, I had just come back from, um, and several other calls of dangerous uh, nature. I said to the female deputy, her name is Amber. I said, Amber, I am I am not living my life to live a long and healthy life at this point because I was I was hacking and 
she just kind of laughed and I kind of laughed. It was kind of meant as a joke, but it was also, hey, what am I doing? You know, what am I doing here? I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not being smart with, with, with my life. And eventually they said, okay, it's all clear in the house. And, and we, we went from the perimeter inside the house. Well, when I got in there, um, they said, well, we, we didn't clear the attic. We don't, we don't, we don't, he's not in the house, but we don't know if he's in the attic. And they would yell up there, no answer, that kind of thing. And they decided, okay, we're going to put uh, a canine in the, in the attic and let him, let him run, run around up there. So they put a table underneath the, uh, no, actually, yeah. Yes. They put a table underneath. No, I got to come back. I thought you, I thought you had observed the. Okay, the, the, correct. The false ceiling panel was moved. so the the ceiling panel was was moved. I found out later that when they went in the house, it was moved. I thought they had moved it, and there was a deputy, um, the canine deputy. He he got down on his knee, and he put his hands down like to boost somebody. And he says, "Hey, Steiny, that's what they called me. Come over here." And I said, "No," because I was trained. Don't put your head in an attic. And he says come over here, Steiny, get over here. And I said, I don't know. I'm not doing that. And in the room was a team that I didn't really know, all with more experience than me. Numerous guys, like there was probably a hundred years of experience in this room and they're all looking at me, the new guy. And like, somebody's got to do this. And so I finally, after the third time I said, all right. So he boosted me up and I kind of did a scan and I saw what his name was, Evan Quick. He was, he was, um, laying down in the corner of the, of the, uh, attic. And I said, Hey, Evan, I see you. It's time to come out. And then I said, get me down, you know, drop me. And he dropped me down. Well, at that point, Evan realized we had seen him and he started yelling back at us and cursing us and that kind of thing. <clears throat> so they thought, well, how are we going to get him out? That's when they put the table underneath and deputy Dunford, his name, Bill Dunford, he was the canine deputy. He uh, was going to put his dog in. His dog was named Timo. Timo had titanium teeth and Timo was not somebody I wanted to mess with. So I shut the door so that I wouldn't be in front of him when he came in. So I didn't get to see this interaction when he was trying to put the dog in. I found out later that the dog kind of did that thing where when it doesn't want to take a bath and it kind of puts its arms around. It's being lifted up. Yeah, it didn't want to go. And he was getting mad at the dog. Like, what's wrong with you? Get up there. And the dog wouldn't go. And as he was doing it, Evan said, if you put your dog up here, I'm going to stab him. And he says, you have a knife? He goes, yeah. And so he, he said, well, I'm not sending my dog to be stabbed. So he put the dog back down. And so we were left with, what do we do now? And the table was still underneath the opening. And so they thought, well, let's, let's put some chemical agents in there, <clears throat> which is what we, what we did. And um, two other deputies stood on the table but they were shorter than me. And so as they tried to put in pepper ball and pepper spray, it kind of the angle that they were getting, it was hitting off the roof because they weren't tall enough to get a direct, a direct spray or a direct hit on where he was. And so, um, being that we'd already lifted me up once and two deputies had stood on the table, that's kind of, we were, that's what we were doing. And I said, well, I'm taller. I can, I can get up there. And Steinmeiser are on the taller side, apparently. Right? <laughs> yeah, I'm the shortest one of the group, but <laughs> I'm still six feet tall. So I said, you know, I can I can spray him with pepper spray. I can get up there and I can actually get my head slightly in there and, and spray him. 
So as I stood on the table, um, I was facing towards a hallway. And at the end of the hallway, there was a deputy who said, hey, I can hear him directly above me, which would have been about 10 to 12 feet away from me. And I said, okay, give me an idea of where I need to spray the pepper spray. So when I, when I got up on the uh, table and I looked that way, there was a box like people have in an attic, they have boxes and I couldn't see that direction. <clears throat> and I thought, well, I want to see this guy and spray him in the face with pepper spray to get him to come down. So I went and began moving the box and within about half a second of me moving the box, um, there was an explosion and felt like I got hit with a sledgehammer. And my next memory is looking down at the table with there's kind of confetti coming down around me and blood dripping off my face. And I just kind of had the thought, I said, well, that's not good. And it was kind of in a daze and nobody really knew what had happened other than I was bleeding and that there was this paper confetti kind of coming out of the attic. And they thought maybe he'd thrown a firecracker just based upon some of the debris. And the fact that my head was still on my shoulders was a, was an evidence that maybe it wasn't a gun. Um, and so I, I got down from the table and they, they pushed me out to the driveway and I was out there by myself. And I just kind of remember looking at the trees and felt like I was in a movie. It was just in a daze and Dunford, the canine deputy came and grabbed me and he's like, Steiny, get over here, come with me. And I was like, Bill, am I going to be okay? Am I going to die? And I asked that, but I kind of thought I, I knew if I was going to die from a head wound, it would probably have already happened. Um, so I kind of had some comfortability, but I still was very confused and didn't know what had happened. I, like I said, it felt like I hit hitting, getting hit in the head with a sledgehammer and kind of knocked the sense out of me. Right. <clears throat> so he walked me out, they gave, gave me a towel and I was wiping my face and like, Oh, okay. There's quite a bit of blood. And he asked me, how old are you? And I said, I'm 29. And I thought for a second and I said, no, I'm not. I'm 31. And at that moment, it went from confusion and kind of almost like a movie. Um, and it just kind of came back immediately. And I was like, I'm okay. I'm fine. And it was clarity. And everything was fine after that. I wasn't scared. Um, I felt pretty good. Uh, my face was bleeding, but, you know, whatever. It had adrenaline. It wasn't, didn't hurt that bad. And they said, okay, well, you got you to gotta go. You know, you got to get in the ambulance. So... I went to get in the ambulance and um, we drove to the end of the street and they were kind of working on my face and, you know, putting, putting bandages or whatever. And there was more bangs going off, but I didn't really think a lot of it because I thought, well, it's firecrackers. He's just throwing firecrackers down at us. Is this the same ambulance uh, or same guys <laughs> that uh, saw you at the... No, but you're, e you're, you're, you're jumping am, ahead. am I jumping ahead? Oh, man. Sorry. No, it was not the, the, the wild sure man. The wild man guy. It was not him, but we drove down to the end of the street and there was more bangs going off and somebody radioed over the air deputy down. And that's a pretty significant thing to hear. And I had the thought like, well, they're being a little dramatic. I mean, I got hit, but I'm okay. <laughs> and then they radioed something further. Like he's over here. And I realized they weren't talking about me. They were talking about, um, a different deputy. And so we got to the end of the street and I said, Hey guys, I have to go. 
And I guess maybe I've watched too many movies, too much TV. And I, I, I thought they'd be like, you have to stay. We have to treat you. Your day is done kind of thing. And they said, okay, <laughs> go ahead. And I said, well, let me out. And I don't, I don't know somebody who's an EMT might be able to say, but I couldn't open the doors. And they were kind of leading me to believe that the guy had to walk around and open the doors from the outside. So I started kicking the doors and I was kicking the doors of the ambulance. I'm like, open the doors. I have to go. And finally the guy came around and opened them and I, I ran down the street as fast as I could. And I got to where people were saying on the radio, um, the deputy was down and I came around the corner. It was in the neighbor's, the neighbor's yard. <clears throat> and, um, there was a deputy, his name's Colin Snodgrass and he was laying down in a pool of blood. I mean, there was a massive pool of blood. Um, and they were trying to help him and, I was kind of the fourth in line. It was this very narrow walkway and Dunford, who's the same canine deputy, probably hear his name a few more times. He turns around and hands me Colin's gun. He says, here, take this. And then he realizes he was handing it to me who he had last seen get in an ambulance. And he said, Steiny, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm going to kill him. And he gave me his gun and I had two guns and I said, I'm, I'm about to go kill this guy. And I walked to the front of the house with like a wild west cowboy with two handguns in my hands. And cause they had been radioing that he was out running around and I'm like, well, let's go. I'm going to find you and we're going to have it out. And as I got to the front of the house, um, I saw he was shooting down through the ceiling. He thought people were still in the house. So he was putting rounds down through the ceiling, um, to, if anybody was still in the house to hit them. And I realized he's not out running around. I can't really do a lot with these two guns. He's still hiding in the attic. So I returned to help extricate Colin to get him to an ambulance. So he, Deputy Dunford had put a tourniquet around him, saved his life with a tourniquet because his, his um, femoral artery had been severed and they were carrying him out to the ambulance, which was the ambulance that I had just gotten out of. The ambulance came back down the street. And they were bringing him out. And I remember they put him on the gurney and he was pale and he was shivering and he's like, I'm cold, you know, and it was not looking good. And the, um, the EMT was panicking. They had left their, one of their boards on the ground and he was kind of going back between it. And I yelled at him. I said, get in the ambulance and go. And he kind of came to his senses and okay, yeah, 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 let's go. And he just left his equipment there and they, they took him to the hospital. <clears throat> um, at this time, Evan is still shooting. He's still trying to kill people um, as, as best as he can. And so I went and I grabbed my AR-15 rifle and took up a position where I could see the vent that he had shot Colin out of. He had stuck his shotgun out of a vent and shot Colin out of the, out of the gable vent. And I, so I took a position there to try and see if he popped out again. I was going to pop him. And, um, about two or three minutes into that, um, some debris, I still don't know what gunpowder or just debris from the pellets that had went into my head, um, went in my eye and I couldn't see out of my right eye. And I realized, okay, there's a ton of deputies here now, ton of officers. Um, I, I don't want to be a burden if I can't be, if I can't be a help here. It's kind of selfish to just act like a cowboy and, you know, with, with bullets in my head, still stay here and, and kind of be a burden. So I, I yelled for Bill. I said, Bill, I can't see. And he 
okay. Comes over, gets me, puts me behind a um, a car and he's sit down here and, and wait. So I radioed for an ambulance to come and get me and they said negative. They're not coming in because it's a hot scene and he's still shooting. Um, that's significant because if I had continued and left in my ambulance and not gotten out to come and help, wouldn't have been one there, there would not him. have been one coming in for him. They would have had to walk him out, what turned out to be about three quarters of a mile to around the corner. <clears throat> but while I sat behind the car, I'll never forget it. The sound of hundreds of sirens, um, just filling the air, just nonstop. I mean, it was insane. I'm just sitting here. I'm like, is this even real? There's hundreds of sirens. And a sergeant from Carlsbad PD walked up and basically said, you need me to help you? And I said, yeah, I, I got to walk out to go to an ambulance. And he says, okay, I'll walk with you. And so we walked out. When I got out to the main street, it was just police cars as far as the eye could see. I mean, there was hundreds of police cars just parked, completely blocking the road on both directions. Um, and like I said, it's something that, you know, no, never forget. We, he walked me to a waiting ambulance and the door opens and there's the guy that you were asking about. The guy that says, you're a wild man. He's the guy who opens the door and sees me and he goes, James, what is going on? <laughs> I said, yeah, man, I guess you were right. I don't know. And, um, he's just like, oh, okay, come on, let's get in. And so we, um, from there we went. And uh, drove to the hospital. And on the way to the hospital, I called mom. And I said, hi, mom. And she says, why are you calling me? You're supposed to be at work. She kind of knew something was wrong. And I said, well, are you, are you sitting down? She said, yes. And I said, well, I've been shot. And she goes, okay, where? And I said, you're sitting down, right? And she said, yeah. I go, I got shot in the head, mom. And she's like, okay. And I said, but I'm okay. I'm all right. And she goes, well, your dad is down in San Diego. I'll let him know, you know, what hospital you're going to. And I like, dad's Why is dad in San Diego? Yeah. I didn't even know that. And <laughs> I go, well, I think I'm going to Scripps La Jolla or something like that. <clears throat> so she said, well, I'll let dad know. She actually took it pretty well. And we were driving southbound on the five and on the northbound, the traffic was snarled because of this incident. And there was like three or four of these big bear cat, like SWAT vehicles with their lights on stuck in traffic. And I'm, I'm going the opposite direction. There's tons of cops that are just stuck in traffic. I mean, you can have lights and sirens all you want. If there's nowhere to go, there's nowhere to go. Right. So there's just all these police lights and fire lights and different things on the freeway stuck in there and kind of felt like Kevin from home alone. Like, Whoa, this is great. You know, see it all these police cars, but it was very surreal. Um, so I went to the hospital and, um, they put me on a gurney, wheeled me in and, and dad came in and he was, you, you're obviously familiar with your father. He was very unemotional a lot of times. And he was just very nonchalant. He just walked in with kind of a stoic look on his face and he said, Hey Jim. And I said, Hey dad. And he goes, boy, you're lucky. I pray for you every day. And I said, yes, I am. And that was it. That was pretty much the conversation that we, we had and um, they wheeled me in for an x-ray, um, wheeled me to a waiting room. And then that gentleman I mentioned earlier, Craig Johnson, who was in a previous shooting, um, he came in and talked to me and he said, you know, you and I have something in common in that we were involved in a shooting with another person who was hurt much more severely than we were. He had been shot in the arm and recovered quite well. And the other guy, Ali Perez, who I mentioned, he had nearly 
nearly passed away. He should have, if without miraculous intervention. And so he talked to me and said, you know, I can help you through some of the, the things that may come up with sort of having been through a trauma, but the trauma was greater for somebody that, you know, that, that was there as well. So, um, we'll need for an x-ray. I, to this day, I still have, I think five or six pieces of. So um, I wanted to know that. So they're still there. <clears throat> yeah. And I'll kind of go back. Yeah. So I kind of told the narrative as it happened. Mm-hmm. There are things that we found out after the fact that clarify as well as make it more significant, even that I'm even here. Um, he, Evan Quick, the suspect, he had somehow obtained a semi-automatic shotgun, one in which it doesn't need to be racked. It kind of reloads itself. And I believe the the model he had had eight eight rounds, could hold eight eight uh, eight rounds of um, shotgun shells. Not legal for hunting. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't know the laws too 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 yeah, well no, on that. You can't have that many rounds in if you're hunting. At least, yeah. Anything that I've ever seen, <clears throat> right? So you have to have a plug. I think it's like three rounds usually is the max. Yeah. Well, he he had that. He we, unbeknownst to us, he had obtained a firearm, and he loaded it, and he, he had what I was told later something like 60, 65 rounds with him in the attic when they I'll, I'll cut back. Evan eventually killed himself. Evan in the attic was on the phone with our crisis negotiators and he put the gun to his head and he pulled the trigger when they went up and found him. Um, the, he had something like 60 something rounds of ammunition, both expelled casings as well as, as well as, um, still, still live. And what they found out was that he had one round that was birdshot. Your, your audience is Idahoan, so probably they're aware of the different types, but you have birdshot, buckshot, and slug are the types of rounds essentially for shotgun. Birdshot, as its name implies, is meant for shooting birds. Buckshot is much larger. They're, they're the equivalent of a 45 caliber uh, bullet, but there's fewer of them. And then you have a slug, which is just one giant piece of metal. The re- All of his ammunition that he had were buckshot, and slug except for one he had one round of birdshot and that's the round that he shot me with now you can try and make sense of it why you know maybe this birdshot was red and he liked the color red but still when you load a semi-automatic shotgun it's first in last out or last in first out right so in other words it was the last round he put in to load the shotgun because that will be the first round that goes into the Oh, that makes it more random. Correct. Yeah. So if he goes, oh, I like this one. It looks cute or whatever he thinks. He puts it in first and, you know, maybe he knew about guns, maybe not. But why you would choose, if you know about guns, he would have known this was a bird shot round. It says it right on it. Right. And it's not a particularly lethal round to a human being. Well, and it's fairly dark up there. So it's, <laughs> there, there could be a measure. Could have of, been. Uh, it's hard to tell intentionality or. If it was completely random, it's one in 65, mm-hmm. but actually. It's probably more significant than that. Yeah, because then the order. The order. Right. Right. So it's a pretty... Now, as it was, what it turned out that the, the person who had told me, hey, he's up here about 15 feet away was incorrect. He was actually right next to the box. They found the back of the box was blown out and had muzzle blast on the box itself. And a, it was a normal size moving box. So 
you know, what, two, three feet. And that's where the gun was against when he, when he shot into it because of that and what it actually, the box was filled with Christmas ornaments. And, uh, so when I've told the story in the past, I said, you know, I was, I've been saved twice by the, by the birth of Jesus, because it was a box of Christmas ornaments that obstructed his view of me. Had that not been there, the second I put my head into the attic, conceivably he could have pulled the trigger with, with a good line of sight on my, on my head. But as it was, he, he didn't see my head, but he was so close to me with the muzzle that had the, the main cluster of the birdshot hit me directly, it would have killed me. Um, and it, as it turns out, as it went through the box, five or six of the birdshot were pulled away from the cluster that went into my, one went in just above my eye and then four went in, um, on my hairline. So I don't even have a scar to this day, um, because they're, they're behind my hairline. But the cluster hit into... That and it, might change over time. but My hairline's strong, Dan. <laughs> I'm 42 years old and it's still there. You can hope all you want, but... <laughs> oh, come on, man. <laughs> so the cluster hit on and embedded in the crossbeam behind my head, missed my head by about inch and a half, maybe two inches. So had that, had that cluster hit me, I still would have probably not, not been here speaking to you now. Um when he shot Colin, the other deputy that was struck, he got buckshot and there's eight, my understanding, eight rounds of buck in a, in a slug for, or in a, um, in a shotgun with, with buckshot. And it penetrated his kneecap all eight rounds and basically destroyed his knee. Oh, like no spread. No, he was close enough to where there was very little spread. All eight went in, uh, severed his femoral artery. And as the surgeon put it, I believe, destroyed everything that makes a knee a knee. Um, he, I don't want to jump ahead, but he subsequently, he did recover. He's, he's a deputy to this day. His life was saved by deputy Dunford who put on a tourniquet. Um, but essentially the odds, I, I mentioned this to one of my partners one time ago, the odds, the odds are an astronomical that, that I wasn't killed. And, and he kind of, didn't even look up from his lunch. He goes, I wouldn't replay those odds if I were you. And I'm like, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I'm not going to, I would have gone in that situation with those odds expecting a good outcome. But as it turns out, my dad prays for me every day. So what is he going to do? Yeah. Or I mean, what can Evan do? If, <laughs> if God is with me, who could be against me? I suppose, you know? Yeah. All right. So you ended up in the, <coughs> in the hospital and, um, walked out that same day. Yeah, I. They they let me go pretty quickly. It was, it was late in the night, but um, it was the same day. They gave me discharge paperwork, which I still have because it says gunshot wound to the head. And I figured not a lot of people are walking around with <laughs> discharge paperwork from the hospital like that. Usually, that's probably the last piece of paper it's on that's the death ever, certificate right? that's ever written about you. Um. I had to go back because whatever had come into my eye um, came back and I couldn't see out of my right eye or my left eye. I don't even know. You don't um, even know which side it's on. I, I don't have a scar to point to. Um, and so I had to go back. But but yes, eventually I was home that night in, in bed. Colin was much, much longer um, in the hospital. He was there for months and then actually weeks. He got married. He was on a lot of pain meds when he walked down the aisle. 
a couple weeks after the incident, but he, he did get married. But yeah, he, he eventually recovered. Um, he, he thought he was going to lose his foot. In fact, he talked about amputation so that he could come back to work. Um, as it happened, he fully recovered and he's, he's now back at work too. So that's pretty um, incredible. <clears throat> yeah, it was, um, it was an interesting day, but then I, they made me take time off. I really didn't want to, cause I didn't want to get in my own head and not be able to come back. You know, I didn't want to get freaked out. Um, and, and then be too scared to do the job. So I wanted to come back as soon as I could, but I took a week off and the first day back was one week later. So this incident occurred on a Wednesday. I came back the next Wednesday and I looked it up later. It was almost to the minute of when I got shot, I went to pull over a car and the car started acting in ways I hadn't lit it up yet, but he knew I was going to pull him over. He was changing lanes. I would change lanes. He changed lanes again. I changed lanes. So he knew he was going to be pulled over, but we were stuck at a red light. And I thought this guy's going to jump out and shoot me. You know, I had just been in a shooting. And so I, I opened my door, just kind of held it open. I had my gun out so that if this guy jumps out of his car and starts shooting me, um, I can defend myself. Cause that's where my, my head was at. Uh, light turns green and he, he punches the gas. I light him up. He doesn't stop. So now I radio, I'm in a pursuit. Um, as I'm catching up to him, he slams on his brakes and I crash into the back of him. And I thought he's going to jump out and he's going to shoot me. Like, that's why, why would you slam on your brakes? What are you doing? So he, then he pushes on the gas. He goes again. So I chase him and he slams on his brakes again. So I thought, well, I'm not, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be, uh, behind the eight ball on this. And I punched the gas and I rammed into the back of him. I guess that scared him because he could see him in the car and he kind of had a weird reaction and he, he pulled over. Um, I, you weren't playing victim. You were like, I'm coming. I'm for not. You, yeah. Right? If you're going to jump out on me, I'm going to make sure that that you don't have, you you didn't choose the time and place. Right. So I'm going to throw you off by, by hitting you. I was cleared of any wrongdoing on this so I can talk about it freely, <laughs> <clears throat> but we did what was called a hot stop and I don't remember it fully. I didn't remember some things that happened. And I, I ended up telling Colin, yeah, I don't, I kind of blacked out and, and he was in the hospital and he said, you know, you, you better go talk to somebody or I'm going to tell on you. Basically, I'm going to, I'm going to tell the department that you're having problems. I'm like, all right, fine. So they had this psychologist that had come. I said, all right, Colin wants me to go talk to him or he's going to wrap me out. So I'll go talk to this, this girl. And talk for an hour and she said, okay, that's it. And I said, all right, well, my, do I have to come back? She said, no, I'm not worried about you. You're fine. And I'm like, well, I don't know that you could say that, but okay. And that was the end of that. I tell that story because that was the last exciting thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> um, that was in 2013. And I thought if this keeps going this way in my career, I am not going to live very long. And between, you know, breaking my hand, the shooting, the pursuit and crashing, um, and the, the smoke inhalation and all that, that happened in within a three month period. And it's been 10 years now and it slowed down. Let's just put it that way. It's been, um, much more, uh, tame career. And I haven't, I haven't had that much excitement since then. It's somewhat sad, but also I'm, 
I'm living You've here. You've been the beneficiary of right. it. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it was um it was a very weird time in yeah, just in life. It was very strange. Seems think things seem to just sort of happen that way that are odd. And now it's just kind of calmed down and I don't really have too much excitement on a daily basis, you know. I don't know, maybe I'm not looking for it. You know, who knows? But I felt like all those things happened to me. I didn't feel like I was, you know, searching it out. But, you know, who knows? Maybe now I just don't go to the things that I used to go to. I don't know. No, that's a, it's a fascinating story. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the podcast, to have you tell the story and uh, something that we give thanks to God for and acknowledge his, uh, there's no such thing as, luck right there's no yeah. such thing as random well that's what dad used to say there's no such thing as luck it's called god's divine providence yeah well as you mess up the microphone um yes uh, uh god's providence to um bring this about and to preserve your life uh, obviously allowing you to go through various trials throughout your life leading you to be a cop then to become a cop and to um, have that level of, of, um, I'll say aggression for, for pursuing justice, for pursuing good and right and, and so forth, but yet in running towards danger and then, um, having that work out the way it was that whole incident, for instance, of you knew it was not best practice to stick your head up in an attic. Yeah, I knew. And, and yet the, the, orders in the room to the new guy were new guy, get your head up there. And ultimately you had to do that. And yet it was, um, one round in the gun, uh, and just a, a little bit difference, at least for me in terms of understanding the different rounds of birdshot, not only was it birdshot, it wasn't, it wasn't a goose load. Um, so steel shot for ducks and geese, would have also would have killed you. Oh, nice! Um, but oh, I didn't even know that. You even know that. So this is upland, this is like this is like for doves. This is upland game or or target shooting, which is uh, lead shot. Gotcha. And so a smaller, softer BBs. Lead is soft. Uh, steel again for you have to use steel in order to take down ducks and geese and the out of the air. And um, anyway, just that that element of something <gasps> that that wasn't random at all. It well, was yeah, God's no, and and absolute purpose and care. Agreed. Um, that's there's no other explanation and i had kind of forgotten about it but as you can hear in my voice i've actually been to the doctor and w one of the tests they ran was was it a uh, cat scan i believe it was a cat scan and i had completely forgotten about the incident you know it wasn't a daily thing i think about and uh, they did a cat scan and the guy from the from the booth is like uh did you get shot with a with a bb gun in your head and i go oh yeah that's right these things show up on on cat scans <laughs> they and light on, up yeah huh? and on x-rays and i said oh no no it was a shotgun and uh, he's like okay <laughs> i didn't ask anything more and i thought well, that's pretty uh he, he, i don't know what he thinks about that but yeah they're still they're still in there um i don't have any issues like pain or anything like that but um yeah i mean even on top of not dying one of the rounds went into my eyebrow um, just above my eye and had it hit my eyeball, I would have probably had to retire and I'd be blind in one eye. Um, and as it, as it happens, hit my eyebrow and the eyebrow grew back over it and you can't even see a scar. Like it's, it's incredible that I, I got shot point blank 
in the face with a shotgun by a guy who was trying to kill me. And I don't even have a scar to show for it. Um, you can't even, it's unfathomable that, yeah. that you, you couldn't have wrote that in a, in a TV script and have it be believable. <laughs> right. right. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot more to the story. There's a lot more little details that happened that day that, um, I don't know. They're interesting, but they're not, they kind of don't give you any further insight into, mm -hmm. into, you know, the significance of it. Um, there's a lot of people that did a lot of heroic things and, um, Bill Dunford, he ended up being awarded deputy of the year nationally for this incident, um, for saving Colin's life. And he essentially was running the whole scene, um, and the response at the time. And so, like I said, he was given deputy of the year, deputy Snodgrass and I were awarded, uh, the medal of honor for the department, as well as the silver cross, which is like our purple heart, um, injured in the line of duty and numerous other deputies were awarded medals, medals of valor, um, for this incident. Um, in fact, it was funny when, um, I was at the hospital and the homicide unit came and they wanted to interview me. And I, I thought, well, am I going to be in trouble? So I, I had a representative come in with me. I didn't, I didn't know if I did something wrong, especially by the head in the attic, you know, and sat down to, uh, to interview. And I said, am I going to be in trouble for this? And she goes, no, you'll probably get an award. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, she was, she was correct. I got, I got the medal of honor and, um, that led to, I actually, I've actually met Kamala Harris. She was the secret or the, um, attorney general, general of California. And I received some type of award. I don't even remember some type of award from the attorney general's office. So I met her, gave a speech in front of her. Um, I actually started it with a joke that went over like a lead balloon. I said, cause Colin and I were arguing and he didn't want to public speak and I don't like public speaking either. And, um, <laughs> so I said, all right, Colin, I'll, I'll give the speech so you don't have to talk. And so in front of a room of dignitaries and things, I said, neither Colin and I wanted to, to really talk today. Both of us are kind of nervous, but I said, Colin's taken enough rounds. So I figured I'll take this bullet <laughs> And I thought it would be funny, <laughs> you know, we're all, we're all, yeah, it wasn't funny. They didn't laugh. No one laughed. <laughs> they just sat there stone faced. I thought, well, all right, I guess some of the gallows humor I think is funny. Maybe other people don't like joking about. It probably was insensitive. There was other people <laughs> in the room who had been shot and, and some who had, they weren't in the room, but people who had been with these other people who had passed away. There was, um, it was the same year that I don't know if anybody recalls Christopher Dorner was a former LAPD officer. He went around, killed a bunch of cops. And, um, there was the San Bernardino deputies were there who lost some partners. So I don't know, maybe they weren't, they weren't amused with, with, uh, with my joke, but anyway, um, yeah, it's been, it, it was interesting. I got several different awards, got, you know, met people that normally I wouldn't, gotten to meet and the sheriff the sheriff was on a first name basis with mom and you know a lot of the command staff that normally wouldn't interact with somebody lowly as me would call me and ask me if I was okay and um never really wanted that in my career I wasn't looking if if I was a if I was a fast riser type guy looking for promotion it would have been a great opportunity um but as it was I 
I didn't, I didn't want to, I just wanted to do my job and I just wanted to get back to work and, and kind of be left alone. And so that's kind of what's happened now. Now I'm just, just go about my day. A lot of people don't even know what happened. There's a lot of new deputies and if ever it gets brought up, they're like, wait, what? And they don't even know. I mean, this is 10 years ago now. So, um, yeah, it's kind of in the distant past. Mom, mom texts me usually on the anniversary anniversary to say, glad you didn't die. (laughs) Glad Mm -hmm. you're still here. And I am too, you know, I, had I, had I died then, um, wouldn't have my kids Wouldn't I wasn't married. Um, you know, I've been, I'm, I'm very blessed that, you know, I, so much of the good in my life that came after that. Came after, yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, it's, uh, it's, um, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to God that, that he decided, I'm going to give you a little warning, but it ain't your time yet, you know? So, yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. Well, great. Well, I think, uh, that's probably a good way to, uh, end this podcast episode for today. And I want to thank you for listening. It's something to give thanks to God for. And, uh, also, uh, we, we do like to highlight these, these interviews also, especially as, as young people are considering different things to do with their lives and uh, what they're interested in. Uh, these are um, ways to get insight into different types of careers and uh, ways in which God has taken people. And so as people consider uh, what they want to do with their lives and how God has made them and what they're interested in, these are, uh, again, other ways to think about um, different things that God puts into each of us to lead us in a direction where we can honor Him the most. So, Well, that's all the time that we have for Truth Today. We just want to thank you for joining us once again. Until next time, we hope that you will grow in your love and commitment to Christ and His Church as we are sanctified in the truth. God's Word is truth. Thank you.